I'm Dee Dee Bass Wilbon. And I'm Dina Bass Williams. And we are the Bass Bass Sisters. It is hot. Yes. In (laughs) our nation's capital, the weather is getting hot and I am loving it. And I do not. (laughs) Well, we had a great weekend um, celebrating my husband's birthday. Yay! If you haven't seen the video, we'll link to it. Dee Dee did a great job as our narrator um, and craft services expert. (laughs) (laughs) It was a wonderful celebration. Yes, it was. It was a lot of fun with family. But hey, let's get down to it. Um, busy week on the Hill. Um, some important subcommittee hearings, some very interesting subcommittee hearings. We tuned in to the entire subcommittee hearing on the um, civil rights and civil liberties. We don't usually watch the entire subcommittees um, because it gets really, really boring. But this one was actually pretty fascinating. It talked about the Tulsa race riots. A lot of people don't know about, don't know the history of the Tulsa race riots, but we grew up learning about it. We did, and it's actually coming up on the 100th anniversary of the of the Tulsa race riots, and it was something that I think all Americans, everyone, should really know about this. And um, it was an amazing, uh, very uh, productive community, and and it was called Greenwood in in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and. It was completely destroyed. They were. It was a, an a, an area of very well educated, very uh, well established African Americans, um, owners of land, of you know, of of stores and things like that, homes, property, and it was completely destroyed by fire, by gunshots. I think over a thousand people were injured hundreds of over 300 um estimated lost their lives lives. um and this happened all because uh, a black man was accused of making a pass at a white woman in an elevator right and so this community had been as Dee Dee said had been bustling the it was a beautiful example of capitalism free markets enterprise um great faith and family churches it was just your it was it was an ideal community that was and the sad thing about it dina is that 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 happened in tulsa oh almost 100 years ago that is not the only place where this has happened where a community has been essentially just wiped out wiped out you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and in some cases it's as drastic as tulsa and you know in some cases, it's not as drastic as Tulsa, but when it is your property that is being taken away simply because it could be taken away and you had no recourse, then it's still it's still devastating. So Tulsa is right. one of the, um, and some people call it Tulsa race riots. We grew up hearing it as the Tulsa race riots. Right. Today they call it the Tulsa massacre, and it really was a massacre. It was, and so. Um, it's, and we we believe in telling the fullness of American history. We we believe that America is the greatest nation on earth, and that we continue to march towards um, becoming that perfect union. But there are examples throughout our history where we we definitely had footfalls and we struggled. And this and, and Tulsa is an example of when we were not our best selves, and when um, whites saw blacks advance, and they and they did not. They felt like it was a zero sum game, and they wanted to take away and destroy, and mm-hmm. they did. And it also happened in there was another um, uh, community in California, in Southern California, um, the Bruce uh, Bruce family owned completely purchased. I think they purchased for one thousand two hundred twenty five dollars um, a parcel um, a land. 
And uh, it was completely taken away from the family in 1924, mm-hmm. 1921, 1924. And now the, you know, that part of California, they are trying to right the wrong of what was done to that family at that time. Um, I think in some cases, many would have called that, you know, Martha's Vineyard before Martha's, Martha's Vineyard, Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the property. It was on beach. It was beach property. Uh, what do you call them? Um, uh, bed and breakfasts, mm-hmm. hotels, just bustling for, for African-Americans to go and, and vacation because they weren't allowed mm-hmm to go to other beaches or other locations in California. And that was a place where they could go. And that was taken away from them. Mm-hmm. And you, you may wonder, like, why are we bringing this up now? Well, there are a couple of reasons to bring it up now. One, it's the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, Tulsa mm-hmm. race riots. And two is because we are, as if you listen to our po- podcast, you know that we are strong champions of the free market and of capitalism and of people having... Um, authority over their agency, authority over their own being, Absolutely. authority over their, the, you know, owning the, the fruits of their labor. And, and so when you take away people's ability to own the fruits of their labor, then you take away the free market. And that's very dangerous. And so this, this, this comes under the umbrella of rep conversations about reparations, mm-hmm. which we, we do not support the classic conversation about reparations. I think that when you talk about reparations and you hear people talking about just writing a check to every black person in America, that in itself just sounds crazy to me. <laughs> it does sound crazy. And I know that this is probably going to anger a lot of people, but I think if anyone who believes in reparations and you believe that every single black person in America deserves a check, how much? I don't know how that it doesn't even right. matter, but we need to have like how and people having real serious conversations about this and there are some arguments like people say and yes, we do believe that slavery handicapped black America, clearly. Totally. But the idea, first of all, like, how do you decide who gets the checks? Who? I mean, how do you decide how much how, like, do, the check is going to be? Do you, if you have more de- descendants that are descendants of slaves, like, if you're more black, do you get more check? Like, and if you're one you, quarter black, <laughs> right. do you not get all the check? And it doesn't make, it doesn't but, make sense. But what, in these two cases... What if you are new new to America from Africa... And you look black. Do you get a check? (laughs) It sounds funny, but we're being serious. Totally serious. But these two situations, the Tulsa race massacre and what happened to this, to the Bruce family in California. In these situations, these families, these descendants, what I I say, they have paper. They, there is Mm -hmm. clear um, documentation, no doubt about it, that these families owned the land, lock, stock and barrel. It was bought and, and bought. They purchased, purchased the it. land, you know what I mean? And there's clear evidence that the government at that time just came in for eminent domain or what have you mm-hmm. and just completely took their land. And that is wrong. And, and so for that, I believe that it reparations is owed right. to I don't even. I don't even think that's called reparations. They are calling it reparations, but to me it's called giving me back my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Exactly. It could because... It, you're right. It's giving me back my stuff. Right. Give and so, me back what you took from me. Right. And so think of it this way. 
until these 100 years since, think of all that. We also believe in legacy wealth. We're growing Bass Public Affairs, not as much for us, but because we're going to pass this baby off to Dorian and Dalen, our descendants at some point. Absolutely. So think of the legacy wealth over the 100 years of Tulsa that was not created because or not passed down because they their land, their stuff was taken. Right. This community that you pointed out in California, this is now worth something like seven they bought it for they bought it for one thousand one one thousand two hundred and twenty five dollars and now it is estimated that that property is worth over seventy million dollars. Are you kidding me? Right. Think of all the interest and all the things that the family could have done with that over that time. So we think that as we're looking at this, you know, the House resolution that came as a result of the 100th anniversary and the legislation that's being passed, we definitely think that we must just read the damn resolution. Just, <laughs> you know absolutely. What I mean? Because we do believe 100% in giving people back their stuff. But this transfer of wealth in terms of reparations, like just writing black people a check, we can't get on that train. I can't get on that train. I can't get on that train. I don't want to get on that train. It's not a train that I right. even want to buy a ticket for. It just doesn't make sense doesn't to me. doesn't make sense. What we do believe, though, is that if you have... We do believe that there that the playing field needs to be leveled in some ways. And we think of things like ownership and opportunity zones because we've right. been fighting a war on poverty for, for 50 years. a long time. 50 plus years. And we've spent over $22 trillion on this war on poverty. And, and it's mostly looked like transfer of wealth, like giving um, poor, mostly black, black and brown people, people right? stuff, like entitlement things. And that has not worked. What we need to do is give, we need advancing access to to jobs and access to capital and access to ownership because that's the only way like cutting a, a check whether it's a stimulus check a welfare check how long is that check going to last it's temporary but it's permanent in terms of keeping people um slave to poverty and that's you're absolutely right it's, it's it's very it's very permanent to keeping them slavery to poverty and i think when you talk about legacy wealth when you talk about passing things down to your to the next generation it allows you to continue to grow. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it allows you, can, you to continue to build onto something. And those families that where their land was taken away, they weren't allowed to build onto anything because it was all taken away from mm -hmm. them. So this, in terms of writing a check to every single black American, that is... I just I don't I, even know like again like, I want to I really and I've and, had conversations with very, some very smart black people about this who believe that they should get a check <laughs> okay and I just want to know how do you determine how well, much what did, but what, did, what when you had these conversations what was their definition or what was their dollar amount that they believed was fair they did not have a dollar amount but some of them do believe that it it, it should be descendants of slaves so people who are descendants of slaves, not people like um, Vice President Kamala Harris, because okay. she's not a descendant, descendant of, of slaves. slaves. And it, but then again, let's say we can identify that um, we are descendants of slaves. Right. We'll link to our ancestry. We are from the Bantu people. Um, so we, but what about people who are like, are we full 100% black? What if, so do and you how, look at your ancestor and say, okay, so you're 98% black, so you only get 98% of the check. But then what's, but what's 98% of the check? Oh, what, so you still want to know what the check amount I still is. Want to know. Yeah, I don't know how you figure My out My thing is, is, how do you figure out how much the, okay, so 
the stimulus check that everyone is getting, right? Mm-hmm. So how much is that check? How's, I don't know how they're we sh- getting. We should have been able. I, I don't know how much they determined who got the check. We did not get stimulus checks. Right. We did not. And but so for those people that got a stimulus check, so does every is it a fourteen hundred dollar check? Is it a two thousand dollar check? Is it a three thousand dollar check? Is there I don't a know, but actually, but actually that not- was one of the arguments that was made. We can easily write and listen to this. This is a bit, um, it's an interesting argument. We can easily write fourteen hundred dollar, two thousand dollar checks for people who are out of work for stimulus, and now they're just like sitting at home, you know not going back to work we can easily write them a check why can't we write a check to all of the black people who's in lives, america in, in america <laughs> whose lives have been um so if the so if we give you the simu, if we give you the reparations check and you are and you are also getting a stimulus check do you not get the stimulus check do you get one of the other these are things that would have to be worked out and i'm just but, asking i just thought about that because i right. think that is and, absolutely and that's hilarious why, and that's why it is ridiculous in my view and i don't want to attack the people but i want to attack the policy of this notion that we would just cut black people a check what we need to do is we need to reinvest in these communities that have seen disinvestment for right. 50 years exactly we need to and build those communities up so that those children that are in those communities have access to great computer right. to computers and and different programs and you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's what we need that's to do. what we need like um Inner city Baltimore, the residents of inner city Baltimore would be, I mean, while they might want a $3,000 check for reparations, they will be better served by schools that work for them, by um, building into these communities jobs that are um, well-paid and safe. That will be more of a benefit than just writing a check that is temporary. Totally temporary. Temporary in terms of the wealth that it creates long term in terms of the poverty so do the kids get this the reparations check (laughs) everybody according to the most um hardline reparationists everybody so if i'm a black woman and i'm pregnant my child also should be getting a because they because they believe that that black people have been disenfranchised by 400 years of bondage we too believe that black people have been I mean, disenfranchised. We do. Or that have our lives have been, um, w- you know, held back because of four hundred years of bondage. But but at this point, the best way to make the correction is not, in our view, writing a check. And again, we know we keep repeating ourselves. We want to make a clear distinction that that's very different than seeing those amazing people who testified at that hearing and we'll link and it to was some of them three of them there two were two men and yeah no a, a, a woman um what were their names they were amazing. i think the oldest was 107 years 107. old viola ford fletcher 107 her brother van ellis who hughes van ellis who served in the second world war an amazing patriot just i was in tears listening to him we were both in tears listening he was to 100 him. He was 100, and Lessie Benningfield Randall, she was 106. These people, and, and Viola Fletcher Ford, she, her, she grew up in, as it, when she was seven, she grew up, she was, you know, middle, upper income. Because of the devastation to her family, she did not graduate. She did not go past a fourth grade education. She had to work as a domestic in the home of white people for all of her adult life. But and we're going to close out with with audio from a Mother Fletcher, as they call her, and listen to her. This is a woman whose dignity and grace extends beyond a fourth grade education. Totally. She is She's amazing. amazing. She and and 
it's not and so people are saying that it, the, the statute of limitations the statute of limitations in 1921 their parents went to the government went to the insurance companies and said pay back what is due to us right and there was injustice and they were not paid back so the statute of limitations back. you know the state of oklahoma the city of tulsa um the, it's they are owed they're totally owed they're owed. they're owed and then some and to me they're owed more than anyone else that's talking about reparations and any, just a check and, and just a check well you want to get a, a, I mean, check. a check for what Seriously, just like, it just makes me sick when people talk about, well, I need to get reparations because of blah, 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 blah. blah, blah. blah. What I have an idea. Why don't you go to the free public school? And Why don't you go to the free library and get a book and read and do something that where you don't need to be concerned about somebody like giving, giving you a check? Oh, goodness. I feel like mama. Okay. Well, I think we have... We have done it for the day. We're going to close out with the beautiful, wise, and um, amazing, and brave Mother Fletcher. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next time. My name is Viola Ford Fletcher. I'm the daughter of Lucinda Ellis and John Wesley Ford of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm the sister of Hughes Van Ellis, who is also here today. I'm a survivor of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Two weeks ago, I celebrated my 107th birthday. Today, I'm visiting Washington, D.C. for the first time in my life. I'm here seeking justice, and I'm asking my country to acknowledge what happened in Tulsa in 1921. On May 31st in 21, I went to bed in my family's home in Greenwood, neighbors of Tulsa, the neighborhood I felt asleep in that night was rich, not just in terms of wealth, but in culture, humanity, heritage, and my family had a beautiful home. We had great neighbors, and I had friends to play with. I felt safe. I had everything a child could need. I had a bright future ahead of me. Greenwood could... Excuse me. Yeah. Still, Greenwood should have given me the chance to make, truly make it in this country. Within a few hours, all of that was gone. The night of the massacre, I was awakened by my family. My parents and five siblings were there. I was told we had to leave, and that was it. I will never forget the violence of the white mob when we left our home. I still see black men seeing being shot, black bodies lying in the street. I still smell smoke and see fire. I still see black businesses being burned. I still hear airplanes flying overhead. I hear the screams. I have lived through the massacre every day. Our country may forget this history, but I cannot. I will not, and other survivors do not, and our descendants do not. When my family was forced to leave Tulsa, I lost my chance of an education I never finished school past the fourth grade. 
I have never made much money in my country. State and city took a lot from me. Despite this, I spent time supporting the war effort in the shipyards of California. But most of my life, I was a domestic worker serving white families.